Hi there. Welcome to the Raven's Call. I'm Eric Wordweaver Shervin, Gothi of the Ridgar Folk here in East Texas, and I'd like to welcome you to the program. This is a show where I ramble on about different heathen-related subjects, just kind of whatever strikes my fancy, sets my mind on fire at the time. Big UPG warning at the beginning of the episode, like always. This is just my views. Uh, the, my videos are meant to be conversation starters, maybe encourage you to think outside the box on a few things, um, encourage some some just different ways of thinking about, thinking about things, uh, maybe exploring some different avenues. Just kind of uh, take it with a grain of salt and, and develop your own views and culture. Uh, that's what it's all about. So all my contact information is down below. You guys know where all that is. P.O. Box, email, all that. I do pay attention to emails. I do pay attention to... I don't always get to reply to emails, but I do pay attention to them. I read them. And uh, I reply to them when I get a chance, but I, I do read them. And then uh, my comments in the Facebook group and the comments on the videos, I get a lot of really good show ideas from those. And so I'm going to continue doing that as long as I can. 2021 is going to be a weird year. Uh, so we'll see where things go. Uh, I've already missed more. <sighs> I've already missed more episodes, I think, this year than I have in the entire run of the series. So it's uh, it's it, it's been dodgy, <laughs> but we're persevering. It's what we do. So um, I do intend to do some more project kind of things. Uh, not really to a point yet where that's where things have stabilized such that I can pay attention to that. Plus, I need a few more supplies to be able to turn things out the way that I want to. So stay tuned. Those will come um, at some point. <laughs> I'm working on it. So because I still I really want to get back on my lathe and, and try and turn some really cool stuff. It, it's a work in progress. Uh, there's a few supplies that I have to get and money's a thing, as you all know. So anyway, on to today's subject. Now, today's subject is a write-in uh, request from a viewer, uh, Tyler Hill, who wrote in and asked me uh, what my take on animism was and how that impacted heathenry as a worldview and culture and just philosophy in general. Now, animism is a thing that... Animism by its name is a specific view. Uh, it's a specific approach to things and it is an element of philosophy. So to try and transpose animism in its entirety as a philosophy onto any particular culture is going to be an imperfect fit. So if you broaden that a little bit and look at just some of the general, general ideas behind animism and the way that it works, then you begin to see how it fits into certain cultures and how they work alongside that or incorporate those general ideas in that culture. And animism, just kind of a, an animism 101, animism, animism, blah, 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 is kind of the view that there are animating spiritual forces to uh, natural elements and entities uh, that give life to and give spirit to these entities or these objects that not just like living, breathing things, but also the rocks, the seas, the rivers, the mountains, things like that. You can already tell where I'm going with this, so props to you. Uh, <clears throat> so animism as a whole is the view that uh, everything, or at least a lot of things, have spirit. Uh, it can be everything has spirit, it can be a lot of things have spirit, but it is the idea that spirit is outside of just humanity. And just from a personal viewpoint, I've always thought that the idea that humans were the only ones to possess soul or spirit was a bit... Um, f 
a bit selfish, a bit self-centered, <laughs> a bit arrogant uh, in its approach. And the idea behind that is that there are, interacting with animals, uh, anybody that's done any kind of rescue work, that's done any serious work with animals, with uh, livestock, with anything, can tell you these animals have spirits. They have uh, sentience in their own way. Uh, it may not necessarily be manifested in the same way as humanity, uh, but it is its own form of sentience, its own form of life, its own form of spirit. And so if you look back into heathenry, you begin to see that, yes, indeed, uh, those elements of animism are very much there. When we talk about the Vaitir, when we talk about the spirits of the land, uh, that's exactly what we're talking about, those animating spirits that are outside of humanity. Now. Uh, you guys, have, if you've watched my soul videos, you know that I ascribe to a very complex view of the human soul, one of those being the Pharah. The Pharah is the ancient tree spirit, the Vatir spirit of what makes us human that ties to the natural world around us. It's the element of spirit that comes from the land and from Midgard itself. The other elements of the soul can come from different areas, some from the ancestral side of things, some from the divine side, when you get down to the Oder, that divine madness, that breath of life from Odin. Um, when you get into the Pharah, you're looking at that natural spirit. And I've done videos on the Pharah specifically before. Um, this one's just specifically looking at the animistic side of things because it was a request. And uh, that Pharah spirit is that tieback. It is that natural um, land spirit element that is a piece of us. It doesn't make us land spirits, but it means we've got a piece of that in us. Just like uh, when you look back at your DNA, uh, you've got stuff from all throughout your history. Uh, everything that goes together into making you has left its thumbprint there, its, its mark. And so a certain element of what has gone into making us, like if you're going to sit down and build a building out of the natural elements around you, uh, it is going to be from the dirt and stone and everything that you have there, from the wood and from you know all of the materials that are there. Each of those pieces goes into it. So you can have a composite of things, and it's not any one thing. Like a, a building that's made from a mixture of sod and stone and wood uh, can be an incredibly strong building, but it's no one thing. It is an element of all of those things, and that's what we're getting when we're dealing with the Pharah spirit element of the soul complex. We are a complex composite of all of these soul elements put into one, which is why we only exist as we are here and now in the here and now going back to the life-affirming element of heathenry, that this is the here and now, this is life, because this is the only time that we are completely all of us as we are now. Uh, even when we go to sit with the ancestors, that's only a portion of the soul that goes back to the ancestors. The Pharaoh spirit goes back into the land. Uh, that little bit of divinity that's given to us by the gods returns to the gods. That's all cyclic in nature, which is a recurring theme that you'll find within heathenry and a number of other religions. The idea here is that <clears throat> Along with Newtonian physics and everything, um, you know, nothing can be created or destroyed. It simply cycles. Uh, that is similar in what we're doing here. Um, the spiritual energy changes shape, changes form, changes composition, um, but it's still there. It is still what it is. And so all of it is molded together into what is us. And then when we die, we break down and we go into those different parts. So that's tying back to the Pharaoh and the whole... Uh, soul complex element as it was. When we're dealing with the spirits of the land, when we're dealing with 
the generalized uh, animistic element of things, yeah, animism does indeed apply on some levels to heathenry. Uh, interestingly enough, when you're dealing with the Vaitir, you're dealing with, uh, and I've done entire breakdown videos on the Vaitir uh, with, you know, my view of hierarchy and everything like that, but I've got lower level Vaitir, mid level Vaitir, and kind of alpha or high level Vaitir, and it follows kind of a pack naturalistic kind of pack dynamic as opposed to more humanoid uh, approaches to things such as tribe or established culture. It's more law of nature versus law of man. And <clears throat> that is all entirely built upon the idea that animals and the world around us is full of spirit energy and full of spirits in different forms than what we may understand. A lot of Shaith work is dealing with reading a lot of those kind of energy flows. Um, say more so on the side of weird, but there are some... I'm loath to say shamanic, because shamanic actually applies to a specific culture, but if you take it as a generalization of working with the spirit realm, then yes, it does. There, there was some evidence of uh, spirit work within heathenry, at least archheathen times, from what we can tell stories of practitioners sending out their hammer or their uh, their spirit body and it changing shape and passing through the spirit world and exploring the world around us. Uh, <coughs> I always find those particular stories interesting and uh, very, very insightful in a lot of ways. So you're dealing with spirits all throughout the world. Uh, river spirits, mountain spirits, spirits of the land, uh, our husvetir fall into that same element. They are the animating force of the house that we give, we understand them in the terms of something like a tomta or a nisa, little gnome type creatures. Um, that's simply a manifestation and a shape that we give them, uh, that we see, and it's an agreed upon form of communication between us and them. Uh, my particular views on the spirit world is that it is ephemeral, it is less bound to shape than we are. Uh, because it is not of the material, physical world, it is of the spirit world, which is more ephemeral. And therefore, uh, that's why you get the stories of shape-changing with the hammer and things like that. Uh, it is more fluid in shape than in the material world uh, that we deal with, which is why we are bound by physical shape. Now, in looking at the... Vetir, you know, we talk about the Husvetir, we talk about Lanvetir. I've told stories before about my times running around the bottoms down in Tennessee Colony uh, with my old chieftain, who we would go hunting down there a lot, and there was a, a very strong alpha spirit that lived down there that we called Fendraka, which basically is Old English for Swamp Dragon, uh, and he was cool, uh, but very, very primal and very, very other. And one of the things that I think when dealing with the animistic side of things is that People try to superimpose the idea of our kind of thought process onto these spiritual entities, and they don't realize that our culture and our way of doing things is completely alien to them. They expect these spirits to respond to us in the same way that another person would. Um, when dealing with the ancestors, yes, it's completely understandable and agreeable to interact as you would with another human being because you're dealing with an ancestral spirit with that commonality. Uh, you're dealing with the element that is tied to humanity. When dealing with the gods, um, the gods, through our ritual, uh, we have our way of communicating. The gods are so great and above us and, and so 
grand in scope. Uh, they created us, ergo they can understand us. Uh, they wrote our programming, as it were. <laughs> so we don't have to worry about that so much. But when we're dealing with the Vaitir, when we're dealing with these animistic spirits, we have to meet them on their terms. We can't just expect them to be able to interact with us the way we would with other human beings. When you're dealing with wolf spirits, you need to be able to interact wolf spirit-like. And that is when you're dealing with na natural things like that, when you're dealing with the, the raw primal world, it can be dodgy, it can be dangerous, because if you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> If you don't meet them on their terms, they may take affront to what you do. Uh, if you don't meet a wolf spirit and show it the deference and interaction that another wolf spirit would, it may not understand you. It may not, uh, may not engage with you the way that you want to engage with it. It's a, it's a thing. It really is. And one of the things that I find uh, interesting in watching other people try to do spirit work is that uh, the ones that I see are, that are more effective with what they do uh, take the time to understand the spirit that they're working with. They take the time to understand the wolf spirit, the raven spirit. They, they understand their manifestations in the material world. They understand the underlying nature of that spirit, the nature of that animal and the way that it interacts. And they interact with it on those terms. And I find this to be far more effective uh, from what I've seen and from my own experiences and my own uh, explorations into spiritual work. Now that's dealing with more animal spirits, uh, which is again the animistic side of things. Getting to work with some of these more alien entities, like working with river spirits, working with mountain spirits, working with the alpha spirits of an area, that's more complex. And that is understanding the nature of what they do, the nature of their very being, like a, a river spirit runs, a, a river spirit is motion, a river spirit is power. It is enduring, it is weathering, it is a constant flow, it is shapeless in a lot of ways, uh, but still bound by current and bound by the world around it. They are not particularly fond of things that disrupt their flow or things that pollute what they do. So you have to, when interacting with those spirits, um, interact in a way that acknowledges and honors that. And I find that to be uh, something that our ancestors did uh, in offerings to local gods. That's when you're dealing with local gods or gods with a little g. Uh, you're dealing with regional Vatir spirits uh, that are like the god of the mountain, the god of the forest, the, the god of the swamp. Like Fendraka would be a god with a little g, a god of the swamp. And he was the alpha of that area. And when you went into that area, you had to play by his rules, or else either A, your hunt would be very unsuccessful, uh, B, the entire swamp would be unaccepting of your presence and your actions there, uh, or you could be, you know, if you did right, you'd be blessed in your hunt, you'd be welcome in that area. Uh, but what, one of the things that Fendraka was very particular about that we got from feel and from work with that area, especially Mike, because he got to spend a lot of time in that area, was that uh, Fendraka was not wild about firearms in that area. He was fine with archaic weapons, uh, with more, 
you know, like a bow was fine, um, spear was fine, knives were fine. Um, it wasn't an issue with worked metal. He was not particularly fond of firearms. So we couldn't take sidearms, we couldn't take uh, rifles into the areas that we hunted in there. And that was particularly dangerous uh, because there are some things in the wilds of Texas that you really want to have a sidearm for. Uh, it, it, especially when you come across the bad side of one of our Texas hogs, it's kind of nice to have a sidearm there just in case things get dodgy. But nonetheless, we respected and were more accepted in that area. So, as we go forward and we, we start to look at these things and look at things as they build in this, you begin to understand that animism is very much a part of heathen view. It doesn't mean that heathenry is animistic in its approach, but it does mean there are animistic elements to the culture. Um, I specify that specifically because there are certain cultures that seem to be like purely animistic. Like the entirety of that culture is based upon the work with the spiritual, but heathenry is complex. Heathenry has multiple avenues and exploring animism will help inform one aspect of it, but it doesn't cover the entirety of heathenry because heathenry is religion, heathenry is culture, heathenry is spiritual. You hear me go through those main points very frequently. There's the spiritual side, which is working with the spirits around us, working with the Vaitir, working with these animistic elements. You've got the religious, which is specifically working with the divine. That is specifically working with the gods and goddesses in the divine plane, in the divine time, and divine space. We are dealing with the cultural side of things, which is dealing with each other, and then also within the cultural, spiritual kind of continuum there, uh, you're dealing with ancestral spirits, which does encompass a little bit of culture and a, a lot of spirit. And so in dealing with these things, we see that heathenry is very complex. It has a number of facets that if you overfocus on one or the other, you fail to get the fullness and richness of the culture that informs every element of it you deal with just the gods and then you lose some of the cultural side of things, some of the, uh, the focus on tribe, the focus on the hearth, the focus on that communal aspect. If you, you know, overly focus on that, but then issue the gods, then you fail to upkeep your end of the bargain in the reciprocal return with the gods. And it damages the luck of the tribe and the survivability of the tribe as a whole. But if you issue the spiritual side of things, the animistic side of things, then you're either not feeding your connection with your ancestors and suffering in the luck there, or you're not keeping a relationship in some way, shape, form, or fashion with the Vaitir of the area around you, and you are not... You may be making things more difficult for yourself than need be, in the home front. Uh, gardens may not turn the way that you want to. Your hunt may not turn the way that you want to. Uh, fishing may not produce the way that you want it to. Um, if you go in and clear cut an area without respect for the Vaitir in the area, you may end up being unwelcome in the land ultimately. Um, uh, again, with the alien nature of the spirits, they have no bonds with us until we start to forge bonds with them. And those bonds will look different based on which spirits you're interacting with, the region, who you are, how you interact, and the kind of relationship that you build with them. That's why land taking is such a big thing. The land taking ceremony, when you establish ownership and stewardship of a land, you are stepping in and you are driving out 
the wild vatir, as it were. You are establishing a boundary and saying, this is my spot. You have everything outside the yard. This is my spot. So <clears throat> I'm going to set up, I am going to establish stewardship, and I'm going to take care of this. Those that work with me will be welcome here. Those that are not working with me, those that are going to be uh, antagonistic to what I'm doing here, you need to go away. And when you do that, when you establish that stewardship of the land, you are extending the reach of your husvetir out into the bounds of your yard. And I've, I've said this before on the channel, it's kind of re reiterative, but still, nonetheless, the husvetir is not just bound to the house. The husvetir, while being the spirit of the hearth, the spirit of the house, also extends to all of the worked property that is associated with that land. Um, in, in a lot of ways, your husvetir uh, is your homestead vetir. And because uh, in the in Archethan times, it was all homesteading. When you set up, you weren't renting, you weren't, you know, setting up temporary placement. You were establishing a home, and there were multi-generational families on these farms, on these lands. It was it was old old land. It was passed down, uh, and it was kept within the family. And that stewardship that was established and maintained and taken care of kept a constant control within a group that was focused on the care of the land. And so those multi-generational family lands were very, very strong because those families spent multi-generations focusing on that relationship and establishing that relationship with the Vaitir and helping to maintain the land. Made for a very strong relationship. Uh, and did it always pan out? No. I mean, things happen. Uh, crops go bad. Sometimes the spirits are just not there for you. Sometimes you may have offended a spirit. Um, sometimes there's a change in the spiritual hierarchy of things and stuff around you shifts. Um, you know, if you take that animistic idea and you broaden it across Midgard and across the earth, because uh, if you've followed the channel, you know I established that Midgard is everything within our material plane that includes the planets, the asteroids, the stars, all of that. All of this is Midgard to me, not just the earth. Um, so if you expand that out and you start to look at the influence of spiritual entities on different areas, you, you can see a shift from a lush forested area into a desert. Desertification is a thing. And uh, you can see the expansion of glacial spirits into different areas. Shifts into ice ages can be a significant shift between the influential parties when it comes to Vaitir. And the Vaitir, the Arctic North, will push down and claim more of the land in the process. And then those that are in the warmer climate will then shift down as well or find a way to work within that new paradigm that has been established in their area. Those are the spirits that will endure in that area and change as a result and then begin to, you know, find their place. Uh, again, when dealing with this, you can look at, you know, entire continent shifts. You know, you've got spiritual entities that are at play anytime, you know, you have like Pangea. When Pangea broke apart into the continents that we know now, uh, that was a major disruption. And you're talking about a division that was like a God level dis uh, disruption of the earth. And 
that caused a lot of change for the spirits here. And uh, when you ask about, you know, the influence of major, because uh, animism does, of course, also include major uh, natural occurrences, things like tidal waves and hurricanes and tornadoes and things like that. Yes, I very much believe that there are spirits tied to that. As a matter of fact, I attribute those heavily to the destructive ones, to uh, the presence of Jotun on Midgard and how that has played out. Uh, hurricanes walking across, I will frequently attribute to, uh, to, to Jotun, and I, I mention those a lot because I live in Texas, near the coast, and we get hurricanes. Not as much up where I'm at. Uh, we get more tornadoes up here than anything, and I have had first-hand experience with that, which you can go back and watch my Storm Rider uh, video in my Weaving Word stuff and see the story of that one. Uh, but we have, you know, first-hand experience there, and I can tell you that watching that Jotun walk across and just do what it did, uh, I, I was very thankful for Thor battling it that day because that's very much what I believe got us through that. So, yes, to answer your question, Tyler, I, I do very much believe that heathenry encompasses animistic elements and that that is a real part, a very strong part of heathenry. And it is one piece of the giant puzzle that is heathenry. So I would not go so far as to say that heathenry is animistic, but I would say that animism as a philosophy and a worldview is a part of the grand heathen worldview, which is why I will use the term worldview frequently. I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of drama on the internet about everything. And so I get a lot of people that are like, you know, don't like the fact that I use the worldview word. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> it is a worldview. It's how you view the world around you. Uh, that is culture. That is philosophy. That is all of that rolled up into a worldview. And so, sorry, it's the applicable word. Um, and then, of course, uh, I know I get a lot of flack sometimes for people because they say, you know, he's got Theodish adjacent beliefs. I'm not Theodish. Uh, I have no problem with Theods. I, I don't. I have no issue whatsoever with the Theods. They, all of the ones that I've interacted with have been cool with me. Um, admittedly, that's only been a few, and with Theodism, they all have a common root. So it's complicated as to whether you call them separate Theods or all part of the same big mega Theod. I don't know. Uh, I'm not Theodish. <laughs> I'm not going to speak for them. Uh, but I have known some separate groups that are Theodish, and they have been fantastic with me. I, I've had a lot of positive interactions with them. And uh, my previous chieftain was Theodish. Uh, at least he went the Theodish route over time. Uh, but my views are very much my own. I do not ascribe to any one particular preset when it comes to heathenry. This is my views as I have established with research, experience, insight. Um, so, yeah, okay. So I have some stuff in common with Thades. I don't care. That's fine. Not a problem with me. <laughs> my focus is very tribal. Uh, it's very natural. Uh, very, very kind of heathen holistic, if that's a thing. Hashtag holistic heathen. Sure, why not? Haven't done a hashtag in a while. Let's go with it. So anyway, hopefully that answers your question, Tyler. I know that was a big kind of random ramble. Uh, part of that is because this does cover a lot of area that I've covered before in separate videos, but maybe not amalgamated in this particular way. Um, I've touched on it from a number of different areas as I've covered different aspects of working with the Vaitir, working with spirit, things like that. So, in essence, to sum things up, 
the question was, how does animism impact heathenry as a worldview and philosophy? There you have it. It's very much a part of the puzzle. So, Thank you guys for watching. I appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed this. I will be back with something, hopefully, next week. Fingers crossed. We shall see how things play out. And uh, I appreciate all your patience. I appreciate all your support. You guys are fantastic. And I'm gaining new followers all the time. Crazily enough, uh, my Heathenry 101 video is nudging ever so close to 10,000 views. Never would have imagined that. Holy crap. Uh, it's crazy. Of course, when you put a clickbaity title on it like Heathenry 101, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I just so wish that it had been of the quality of these videos instead of that janky setup that I had before. Uh, but at 10,000 views, it's kind of like, mm, I, I could do a Heathenry 102, but I mean, that's pretty much the entirety of my channel. So it gets redundant at that point. It's meant to be kind of an intro thing and then on into the rest of the content. I just wish it was more reflective of the rest of the content. Anyway, I'm rambling. Hail to you all. Thank you. May your hearth fires burn bright.